0: The Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline.
1: One of the big reasons I came to TCU one the sprint program. I mean, if you look at the sprints, you've got the most collegiate athletes under 10 seconds for the 100 meter dash, and they from TCU. Like we have the most. Most people don't know. Maybe they don't know that, but we have the most sprinters under 10 seconds in collegiate history.
0: That is the voice of Ronnie Baker a 12-time All-American during his track career at TCU. Ronnie will talk to us about his time at TCU, as well as his Olympic career, which begins this summer in Tokyo for the 2021 Olympics in the 100-meter dash. And we have a very special edition of the Frog for Life podcast today, as we are joined by an Olympian. Ronnie Baker, class of 2016, he graduated from TCU, competed on the TCU track and field team, set numerous records there, has gone on to set even more records, and we will find him in Tokyo this month here competing at the Olympics. But before we get into what he's doing in Tokyo, let's get into why he came to TCU all these years ago. So first, thank you, Ronnie, for joining me today.
1: Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me, honestly. It's an honor to be on the, on the podcast today. I love talking about the Frogs and, and TCU, so it should be a
0: good one. Mm-hmm. So you had a bit of a, a circuitous childhood growing up. You grew up in Alaska and then went to Kentucky, and then you were a great um, student athlete at Kentucky in high school, um, and then chose TCU. So tell us about your childhood growing up in Alaska and what it was that led you to come to TCU.
1: Yeah, so I was uh, I was born in I was actually born in Louisville, Kentucky. When I was so when I was five years old, got two siblings, one uh, brother, one sister. My brother's a middle child. My sister is the younger one. So we're all two years apart. So when I was five, my brother's three. My sister was one years old. We moved to Anchorage, and we were there for seven years. So I was there from five to twelve, and it was different, man. I it was cold for sure, (laughs) not a lot different than Texas. And I hated the cold, honestly, like. I liked living there for the time I was there, but I was, I was all about the hot weather and summers. And so that was a big part of, you know, wanting to come to TCU, being in Texas when it's hot. I knew that I was going to be able to train and stuff. So that was a big deal, but yeah, childhood was great. You know, living in, living in Anchorage, like I said, it was cold, but I learned a lot. I think being around, not, I didn't have a whole lot of family there, but we fared fairly well and it was it was a different environment, different culture for sure. But I think I learned a lot and grew while I was there, even from a young age, you know, I don't remember a whole, whole lot about it. I remember going to school and some of the, the fond memories and moments there and some friends and stuff like that. But then we m- moved back to Louisville, Kentucky and honestly, didn't I did most of my growing up there. The stuff that I can really remember, you know, from middle school all the way through high school. Um, but yeah, after that I came to TCU and. Run, one of the big reasons I came to TCU, one, the sprint program, I mean, if you look at the sprints, you've got the most collegiate athletes under 10 seconds for the 100 meter dash, and they, have from TCU, like, we have the most, most people don't, know. maybe they don't know that, but we have the most sprinters under 10 seconds in collegiate history, so that was one thing, and then, honestly, just the Southern hospitality in Texas, it was something I was very, like, I've heard about it, but hadn't really experienced it until I came on the visit. So I just, People were just super nice and Coach Anderson, he was coaching Charles Silman at the time who was running really, really fast. And I think when, you know, as an athlete, I was, I was smart enough to look at the results and what was being produced at TCU at a high level and, uh, you know, not get caught up in all the, the partying and stuff like that. You know, all that when you're a high schooler, you know, that's the stuff that you think about, like you want to have fun when you get to college. But I, I looked more at the program. I looked at who, who was going to be coaching me, who are the athletes succeeding and honestly, Daryl and the program were a big part of me making the decision to come to TCU. Not also, you know, being able to have a full ride scholarship that was good too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that always helps, especially when you come to a school like TCU. So, when you get to TCU, how is the Januarys compared from Fort Worth to Anchorage?
1: Very the world's difference, honestly. The it's crazy because in in Alaska, you're you've got snow pretty much all year. You're you're year round snow from. Really October, sometimes even mid-September, all the way through like January, February, March, April, it doesn't really start to like go away until like late April, maybe May, and there's and like, it'll be, it'll be warm, but there's still snow on the ground, like it's still melting at that point. And so Anchorage, I mean, you like January is cold. It's freezing. Like you're out there in snowsuits and boots. So that was, you know, especially, you know, when I was in elementary school, we had recess and like most of our recesses you got to be in like full gear. Like you're not out there playing basketball on a frozen court, you know. Yeah. So it was very different. Uh, I love I love the fact that, you know, Texas is warm though. And it's hot. Although the the weather here is a little bit up and down, you know, one day like especially in December actually in January, it really is kind of, the, usually it's the worst time for us tra- training just because like, it's like 40 degrees one day, then it's 70 and it's like 50 and raining. It's like, what is going on? So <laughs> the, the difference, I guess, is that it's more consistent in Alaska. You know, you're getting snow. That's it. <laughs> it's going to be cold and you're getting snow, Texas, us a little bit more up and down, but yeah, it's just, just world's
0: difference, man, world's difference. <laughs> So how old were you when you began training, you know, for sprinting? Because as you said, weather may not be conducive to go outdoor track, you know, in Alaska. So did you wait till you got to back to Kentucky to really start taking sprint seriously? Or was it something you did your whole life?
1: Man, well, you know, in in Alaska, there's, you know, there's really three months of like good, good weather, summer weather. And it's usually you know mid mid seventies sun you know kind of stuff, stuff like that. So when we did have chances to run, I ran. But I ran a lot of cross country when I was in Anchorage. Like I wasn't running. I didn't even like track and field wasn't even a thing. I mean, we didn't have any. We didn't have any track and field sports programs. We didn't have AAU like we didn't have any of that stuff there. So a lot of it was just cross country. So I ran cross country in the snow, you know, coming up in elementary school, that's what we did. We just ran miles and and stuff like that. So that was more of my forte coming up as far as, you know, being able to run. I always was the fastest kid in my, like literally in the whole school. I I was like the fastest kid, like no one could beat me. But it was more, I didn't really get into track and field like actually running on the oval until I got back to Louisville and I was in middle school. I think I started in sixth grade, like right when I got there, I went out for the track team, so, and it really was like someone just saw me running and was like, hey, you you need to run track, so I ended up doing that, and that's when I really started track with sixth grade back in Louisville, Kentucky.
0: So as soon as you get to TCU, you had immediate success, you made the NCAA championships as a freshman, you were a two-time first-team All-American as a freshman, so was that a a surprise to you to have such immediate success on such a national stage as a freshman i mean most kids are just like hey i survived freshman year and you're like here i'm an (laughs) all-american honestly i didn't
1: even i don't think i knew the the weight when i was a freshman you know being able to be an all-american and i didn't really understand it i i really for me i was just thinking about winning and like we didn't win any titles that year and so for me i was like all-american's great but i (laughs) I don't really care. I want a gold medal. So, you know, for me, that's always how I've been, man. I, I've always think, I've always looked at, okay, what, what is the highest level that we can achieve at? And we weren't achieving at the highest level. So yeah, like I, I was thankful and grateful, you know, that we, you know, I got a certificate that said All-American on it, but I didn't, I guess I really didn't think too much about it. I guess now looking back on it, it was a pretty stellar accomplishment being a freshman and, and being able to be all-american but you know I just always wanted to win I was like we're not winning so I always you know and maybe this this is just a different mindset you know for me you know the the all-american stuff it was great but it's almost like a participation medal to me and that's not to that's not to downgrade you know anybody's abilities or you know they're striving to make that happen but for me I always wanted to win and you know just be you know being all-american you just got to be top eight. And so I've always just strived to be better and to do more, and that's definitely unconventional and it's not normal. But neither is being an Olympic athlete.
0: So the titles did come eventually during your, in your TCU your career. You won a, m- a number of individual, and you had some some team success. You finished twelve time. You were twelve time All American. I know that you know All American is the be all end all for you. You were also the. Big 12 Outdoor Performer of the Year, which is a phenomenal accomplishment in 2016. As you think about your TCU track and field career, anything, you know, athletically you did at TCU, was there a single moment or race that really stands out to you?
1: That's a good question. I think for me, the biggest, one of the biggest moments definitely had to be I would say there's two, there's really two defining moments. I think one, my my junior year when I won the Big 12 championships in, in the indoor 60, I think I was coming into form and understanding that I can actually do something in track and field. I can, I can be bigger than I think I, I can, you know? And after winning that title, I was running really fast. I think the next defining moment is obviously winning the first national title in 2015 in the 60 up in Arkansas you know, that's something I'll never forget. And that was a big defining moment for me, because it really put into perspective, you know, all of the work that I had done up until then, you know, the two years prior. And also, you know, like I said, you know, being 12-time All-American, doing all of those things, even having those All-American accolades in my freshman and sophomore year, you know, I I started to realize that I could, I could be something special. And so those were really two of those defining moments when I started to actually put the pieces together, started to clock some really fast time, started to win. And I think from then, you know, that not only put into perspective for me that I was a good collegiate athlete and that I could win national titles, but also looking down the road to potentially being a professional because I wasn't ever thinking about that when I came to TCU. I never thought about being a professional athlete as far as track and field is concerned. I maybe have had it in the back of my mind because, you know, I was athletic and I felt like if, if you're pursuing athletics in the collegiate, like the collegiate ranks, every athlete, they're always thinking about, most of them, you know, 99, 95% of them are like, I'm trying to go to the next level. And it's not until like maybe their junior year, where they're like, okay, I'm probably not going to go to the next level or I am. Right. And I think for me, I had those two key moments my junior year where I was like, okay, I think I can actually make it to the next level. I'm not going to have to give up my dream of doing that. And so those were two defining moments for me and, and, you know, really something that set me my mindset on the path to be able to make those things happen.
0: And, some people might think, well, th- you know, Ronnie just wanted to focus solely on track. He just probably took some blow-off classes and just ran at the track for, you know, 20 hours a day, and maybe he took some basket weaving and something like that. <laughs> but no, no, Ronnie Baker is not only a world-class athlete, he also majored in kinesiology, which, you know, it's even hard for a lot of us to spell that, yeah. so... <laughs> What was it like for you balancing, you know, being trying to be a world-class athlete was also such a demanding and and very, you know, important major.
1: Yeah. Kinesiology was, uh, it was something I chose because I was in sports and I think most, most kids do that. You know, I, I feel like for me, you know, I am i don't think I'm going to use my kinesiology degree later on in, in life as far as like being a PT, which is what my original plan was. Because I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, especially when you're going to college, everyone's like, you talk to some older adults and they're like, hey, what's your 10-year plan? <laughs> and uh, you tell them something that sounds really good so that they don't ask you anymore. Right. <laughs> so my, you know, my 10-year plan, you know, go to school, get a master's degree, you know, go be a PT, work my way through the ranks, you know, work with professional athletes. That was kind of what I wanted to do. But, you know, I realized I want to take a different path. But kinesiology was a very, it was a very, it was a demanding major, especially in college, especially at TCU. And I think that the first two years of college doing, you know, all of the core classes and stuff just prepared me to be better in time management. And so, yeah, I was, uh, first of all, I was pre-PT. I, I switched my major still in kinesiology, but to health and fitness. And so, Honestly, yeah, it was a, it was rough. There were some classes that I was like, pharmacology was one of them. I was like, this is, this is hard. Like this is, this is rough, especially trying to balance that with the travel that we had and, you know, trying to focus on winning national titles at that time. So I took that my senior year. And so I was trying to repeat that year in the 60 and just, there's a lot of stuff going on. And so, yeah, it was, it was a difficult major and I'm glad I did it because if I, you know, one graduating from TCU, it's a prestigious school and the the degree holds weight all over the country. And so I'm just being able to balance, you know, being a two-time national champion, a 12-time all-American, also with the demanding majors such as kinesiology, with stuff like biomechanics and pharmacology and anatomy and physiology. Yeah, I, I definitely proved a lot to myself. So <laughs> it was fun.
0: Now did Being a kinesiology major, obviously runners, there's a lot of, you know, hamstrings and groins and, you know, ankles, feet, everything, you know, little things can just pop up. Did studying that, did that help you? As you know, you felt little aches and pains of that, you know, hey, I, I learned in class what's going on in my body right now, or this is how I need to train better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think going into, you know, being a kinesiology student, I got to learn all the muscles, bones, you know, ligaments, joints, all of those things that were affecting me, you know, as I was out there training. And so it helped me to like like you said, if I was feeling something, I knew exactly where it was coming from. I knew like the path of origination, you know, what areas I need to work on to be able to strengthen that area or to relieve pain in that because it's crazy. The body is like it's connected in all kinds of ways. Like There's times where I've had, you know, I've had pain in my calf that was relieved through massage work in my chest, which is crazy (laughs) to think about. But the body, like all the muscles and joints and things, they're connected in certain ways and certain pathways. And there's so many different studies about, you know, massage therapy and just all kinds of treatments, not only to relieve pain, but to help athletes at a specific level. And so I definitely use that to my advantage, knowing, okay, what is bothering me here? What needs to happen to be able to relieve that pain or get it better, strengthen, rehab, whatever the thing, whatever that is. And even now today, you know, I'll, I'll be on massage tables and be like, yeah, my, you know, my quadratus lumborum is tight and <laughs> is well, it's, it's a part of the lower your lower back. And the, the massage therapists are like, wow, how'd you know that? It's like, I, I took kinesiology, so I know a little bit. So it, it helped me be in, more in tune with my body a lot earlier, which has helped me in my career as a professional
0: athlete. So you, you graduate with this kinesiology degree, you have all these college accolades, and you want to be a professional you know, track and field athlete. So for those of us that, that may not know what a, how you become a professional track and field athlete, what did that, what did that career path look like after graduation?
1: You just run really fast. You no, know, really. Like I have all these like high school athletes asking me, like, how do I become a professional? And uh, you just need to run really fast. Like you need to go out and perform. And when you perform, people will notice. People think that there's like this special formula of these people, like you need to know this person, you need to talk to this person. If you go run fast, they'll come talk to you. And so that was that was kind of the path, you know, really transitioning from college to professional. A lot of the professional athletes that you see are Premier winners or finalists in national championship like competition, they're they're at the NCAA meet, they're in the top eight, and track and field is usually pulled straight from those individuals. Like the top, prof- like the professional athletes, people that go pro, they get contracts. They're literally getting pulled from those top eight. So I tell people all the time, you know, you want to become a professional athlete, go run fast, just go run, get in a meet and run fast, and somebody will notice you, and if you're clocking a world class time, you're gonna get a. You usually do. And so for me, what that looked like was honestly, I, I ran well enough in my indoor season. Now for me, I didn't, I never made an outdoor uh, hundred meter final while I was at TCU. I never did, which is crazy to think about. So that actually hurt my stock a lot because again, there, if, if the professionals are getting pulled from the top eight, I wasn't in the top eight. And so um, that hurt my stock a lot. And so there was, there was talks about potentially me going, uh, I'm running for Nike now, there was talks about me potentially going with Nike and, and getting a nice contract, a bigger one that I currently have now, but because I wasn't in that top eight, that, that stock went down. You know, they take from the, who won the national championship, who got second, who got third. And when you're not in that, you know, the money goes down, the, the visibility goes down. And so for me, I didn't even have a contract coming out of college. My last collegiate race was, I believe in July of 20, 2016. And I didn't sign my contract with Nike until February the following year. So I was kind of like, I was actually, had to take an extra semester, which was saving grace for me because, you know, I was still in school, so I didn't have to go work technically. I had been really good with my money and, you know, Pell Grant and stuff like that. Things that I got because I was, you know, a student and, you know, come from a low income family, stuff like that. Mm So I was able to kind of string that out over the couple of months while I was in school. I didn't have to go work, but yeah, I didn't get a contract until February. And that was because again, I didn't make that, I didn't make that final. And Mm -hmm. really what it looks like is you're just going through negotiations with a bunch of shoe companies, the shoe companies that, you know, work with track and field athletes like Puma, Nike, Saucony, Under Armour, Brooks, you know, Asics. There's a lot of new companies coming out that are making spikes, New Balance, but really they they come to you and they say, Hey, this we'd like to represent you, we'd like you to represent our brand. And you know, this is this is what we're willing to give you. And you just have you have an agent, they negotiate your contract for you, talk about bonuses and stuff like that. And usually that's how it happens. You become a official Nike or you know, ASICs athlete, and that's your professional status, it is really based on that. And now there's a lot of people that don't have contracts, to be honest with you, that are considered professionals. They still run a professional level, but it's hard to stay in that professional scene if you're not getting paid, because now you have to go work. You know, you have to go work a job. You got to have a normal life. And then you have to find time to train, which I can imagine is very hard. I'm blessed that I've never had to do that. But there's no federation. There's no like, there's no, it's not like the NBA where like, there's there's an organization right (laughs) and you know whether you're on the bench or not you're still getting paid like you have to show up and you have to compete and you have to run and you have to run well in order to be able to continue to have that professional status without you know having to go and and you know really i guess put in the work outside of that to create the income to be able to run
0: so so there's a lot of us that We hear about the Olympics. We hear, you know, every summer, it seems like the world championships, the U.S. USA championships. But I got to imagine being a, you know, a professional athlete. It's more than just, you know, two or three big races. So what is your competition schedule for a professional track athlete look like?
1: It it really varies. Um, We have for me in my contract, I have to run a total of eight competitive IAAF sanctioned races, which means that IAAF is just the world athletics governing body. They're the ones that put on the world championships and stuff like that. And so the meets just have to be approved by them. And so uh, for me, I have to run eight of those a year. And so I just have to make sure I get those eight in wherever they are. And a lot of it is not, it's not like a schedule where you have like, you know, the TCU basketball schedule where it's like, you know, exactly what days, what times, where they run, like where they're playing, et cetera. It's really up and down. And so for us as professionals, we honestly get to choose where we want to run and where we don't run run unless, you know, per se Nike says, Hey, we need you at this track meet, then I have to go. Like there's one meet I have to go to every single year. It's the Prefontaine Classic. It's the diamond. It's one of the only diamond leagues that is in the United States, but I have to go there because I'm an Nike athlete. Like I have to be there. And so other than that, I get to pick and choose where I want to run. So it, the schedule is really up in the air. And usually we try to get, I would say on average, I'm running close to 10, maybe 12, sometimes 15 races a year, but that's not a whole, I mean, that's not a whole lot. You look at like basketball games, baseball games, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And so that's kind of how the schedule works it's really up to me and the agent the coach and just figuring out where we want to run and where we want to compete Hmm.
0: and you've had a very active spring you said your your last six months been very hectic for you starting texas relays in march you set a meet record with a 9.94 in the 100 meter dash so going in did you think you were going to set the meet record and, and what kind of led to that
1: and my goal my goal is just to win the race. I wasn't even thinking about running a meet record. I didn't even know I didn't even know what the meet record was going into it. But apparently that was one of the fastest times run in March ever. And so that was I mean, that was really impressive for me. I was I was excited about it. But yeah, my whole mindset was just, hey, let's just let's just see where we're at because it was the first race of the year. Let's see where we're at. Let's just win it. So, yeah, I wasn't expecting to set a meet record, but, you know, it's a blessing. It's always an added bonus cherry on top kind of thing, icing on the cake, whatever you (laughs) want to call it, whenever you do that. So I was I was very, very pleased, even just starting the, the season off with a 994.
0: And was that a, do you have a comfort level there, probably having competed there as a college athlete? And I'm sure you've been back since. So is that is there something about, you know, familiar tracks you, you do better at?
1: Kind of, yeah, I think so. I, I think, you know, being at, being in Austin, I think it's, it is a sense of, there's a sense of like, comfortability there um, especially because we competed there for Texas Relays we've been there for like the Austin you know meet that we've been there like go there like two or three times a year and while I was at TCU so I think so I I I don't you know for me also (laughs) I actually fall started there in my junior year regionals so you know there's (laughs) there's some good and some bad with it all but I think there's a little bit especially a certain certain venues yeah it definitely brings a, a certain
0: sense of comfortability for sure. And then in June, you made national news. You qualify for the Olympics, but not only did you qualify for the Olympics, you ran a personal best 9.85. So for that kind of event, you're qualifying, you know, maybe it's the biggest race of your life. How do you peak at the exact right time and, you know, you're able to perform in a way you never have before?
1: Honestly, I think that I've, I'm in the best shape that I've been in my, in my entire career. I'm a little, I'm like 10 pounds lighter than I was in 2018, which, you know, I don't necessarily know it's a good or a bad thing. I think it's a very good thing, you know, that where I'm at now. So, you know, the ability to get there and peak at that specific time, I think we, we always gear our workouts, our, we always gear our our races leading up until then all to that meet. Like it, it is all geared to that. Like, even the track meets, like the one I ran in Austin, was like, "Hey, you know, this isn't the Super Bowl. Like, we need to make sure that we're okay. Here, we're getting through this race healthy so that we can be ready to compete in, in June." And that's how we—that's how we view the whole year. It's like, okay, this meet doesn't matter. Win, lose, draw—we can get sixth place. It doesn't matter as long as we're ready in June. And so that's how all the workouts have been. And just to be able to get there, and you know, one, run a personal, but be- two, one, make the team. But to run a personal best on top of that, I think that, you know, outside of all the work that I've done, I've had, you know, I have a lot of faith in just my coach, my support team, my ability to, you know, all the work that I've been doing. I know I've worked super hard. And so I hadn't, like, for me, my expectations are always high. And I've always expected to be on the team. You know, I've always, I just expected to make the team. You know, every year that I've run and tried to make an Olympic team, whether it's 2016 or a world team in 2015, 2017, 2019, most of those years I've been hurt. And I knew that if I could get to this meet healthy, that I was, I was definitely one of the top three athletes in the whole U.S. I knew that. And so for me, you know, getting there, I was, I came in with a lot of confidence, high expectations, one, because I was healthy, two, because I'm in the best shape of my life and three you know because i, I just believe t- truly that god already has everything mapped out and planned and you know because of that we should work hard we should use our gifts that he has given us to be able to glorify him and that's just that's just my mentality of that you know okay everyone says okay well if god's already got in, in 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 plan like if it's already mapped out then like you know why if why why do anything right but that's the same thing as saying okay well you know i'm not going to i'm not going to work hard because it's already been mapped out well it can't come to fruition if you're not putting in the work to make it happen you know it's like it's like saying oh well I, you know i, I want a promotion at my job but if, if god says it's you know if it's already not going to happen then why would i why would I put in the work to make it, to, to try to get the promotion? Well, if you don't put in the work to get the promotion, then you'll never get the promotion. <laughs> but if you if you continue to put in the work and have faith, even if it doesn't happen, you still did something to potentially you know have it happen. Either way, you it's it's a win win for you. You have to be able to put in the work. Like you have to do something because if you don't do anything, then it's never going to happen, whether it's supposed to happen or not. Mm-hmm. You got to do it. You got to do something. And so I think that that's just a big part of just who I am and knowing that, okay, because I've, because I've put in the work, because I've had faith and believe that it will happen. And I have high expectations that I, I just expected myself to be there. And honestly, to run a personal best is again, icing on the cake, cherry on the top for me. But even if it didn't happen, the greatest thing is that I know that track and field doesn't define me. Uh, Track and field is not necessarily my purpose in life. It is because it, for, to be honest with you, if it was my purpose in life, my purpose would end in the next six years. So mm-hmm. I would really like at the age of 32, 33, I would have no purpose. Ronnie Baker would have no purpose if track and fill was my purpose. And so I don't believe that track and field is my purpose. I believe that it's a gift from God that's gotten me to where I am now. And it's a platform for me to be able to pursue and chase my purpose. And so I just want everyone, I mean, everyone should know that like everyone should remember that like you're not defined by what you're defined by who you are and who god's created you to be and i i truly believe that so you know win lose or draw i'm okay because i know who i am in christ Mm
0: -hmm. and now you so you've made the olympic team and it's a team but it's also an individual thing much like it is in college and there is, I saw that the, the person who won that meet was from Baylor. You had other people from Texas there. So when you go to Team USA, how, how do you kind of separate the team and the individual?
1: Well, the great thing about that is that we don't have to do the team stuff until after the individual stuff. So <laughs> I, I, it's very easy for me to separate it, you know, especially because we, we have to compete against each other first. And then after that, a couple of days later, we come together and we run on the relay. And so, you know, looking at it as a whole, you know, obviously if I do what I'm supposed to do as an individual, I ultimately help Team USA win the whole, you know, win the whole track meet, which Mm -hmm. is the goal. Like we want to win as a whole country together, whether that's in the relay, whether that's like overall medal count, like that's what we're trying to do, trying to win. And so, you know, me taking care of my individual event is going to ultimately help the team win. And that's just, that's. That's how our sport is. It's like, you have to be super laser focused to be able to do and play your role so that the whole team, the whole team wins. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's a lot, it's, it's very easy because again, we don't have to run the relay until later on. Um, It allows me to keep that competitive edge, you know, (laughs) leading up to that. So yeah, I, it's easy for me to separate it. It's always been easy for me to separate it because I'm just a competitive person. I always have been. I mean, I told, talked to you earlier about yeah. literally like all American status. Like, <laughs>
0: so, and you said that you're, you know, you know, you're one of the best runners in the U S come Tokyo, you got to go up against the best runners in the world. Have you done, what's the scattering report on the other countries? What are, you know, what do you think you're, where you stand in terms of, you know, I know you believe you're the best in everything and that's what you strive for. But where is for those that don't know the the world runners? where do you what's the biggest thing to look out for
1: well here's what I'll say <laughs> I have the third fastest time in the world right in the world right now which means there's Trayvon Vermell he's he's run faster than me this year there's one guy from South Africa's name's Akani Simbine I actually ran against him in 2015 in the actually the world university games which is pretty cool and then there's me so, as far as the world is concerned, Akani Simbine is the only guy that has run faster than me this year, outside of Trayvon, which is a U.S. athlete. So, there's definitely players. There's guys that have won medals that have been to Olympics already. Andre de Grasse, he's a Canadian sprinter. He's in that famous picture with Usain Bolt, and they're like laughing at each other, looking at each other. That, from 2016, he's won a couple medals. So, the, the world is definitely running fast. At the moment, not a lot of them are running faster than what I've run, so... And that's, I mean, for me, it's not an, it's not an arrogant thing. I just, I look at the numbers don't lie. Like I'm number three in the world. So right now I'm not, and, and even when I get to the Olympics, I'm not necessarily worried about them. Coach, coach Anderson always talks about, he says, Hey, you know, focus on your 48, which is 48 inches is how wide the lanes are focus on your lane. Right. And when I do that, you know, there's, I don't believe that there's anyone that can beat me in the world. And so, you know, there's a couple guys that are running fast. Like I said, Akani from South Africa, Andre de Grasse, he always shows up at the Olympics and, and on the world stage. He's from camp. And really like even the field that I just ran against in Monaco, a lot of those guys have been in Olympic finals. Jimmy Vico, French athlete, he's run 984, his PR is 984. You got Fred Curley, who ran 96 at the, at the trials this year. You've got, I mean, Felipe Tortu, he's an Italian athlete. Like these guys are running fast. They have run as fast as me in previous years when they've been literally in medal contention. So out of that whole field, you know, I was one one of maybe two or three guys that has never been to an Olympics. So yeah, the the field is pretty deep, but I believe that with, like I said, all the work that I've been putting in, the faith that I have in my God, that, you know, we'll get it done.
0: And aside from the track, we've seen, you know, in the news the last the last week or so, that Tokyo will be a bit of a different atmosphere. I believe that they've restricted fan access. So, what have you been told, though? Aside from the track, what is the atmosphere going to be like in Tokyo in terms of protocols, scheduling, things like that?
1: Man, I'm I'm already like trying to stay calm, pulling my hair out, trying to figure out how to get to Tokyo the right way. There's so many, there's so many protocols. I mean, just with all the COVID-19 stuff, we've, we've got to take, you know, a lot of COVID tests. We're getting tested every day while we're in the Olympics, at the Olympics and the Olympics. Right now, there's pretty much three places that we're going to be able to go. You know, we got the Olympic Village, you've got the training facility where the track and field people will be as far as the U.S. and then the stadium. Like, those are the three places. And so far, like, People are like, oh my gosh, you get to go to Japan. Like you get to see all this great stuff and shop and, you know, eat all this great Japanese food. And man, I was so looking forward to sushi. Like, oh, that is, I was like super excited for that just to get some like authentic, like Japanese, like fresh, like, oh my gosh, I was so excited. Sadly, we're going to be pretty much confined to those three places. And we can't take any public transportations like Ubers, buses, trains pretty much all of our transportation is going to be supplied by the olympic staff and so we'll be in those three places kind of just locked down taking tests every day we've got to take tests i mean i have to take a test um 96 hours before i leave to go to tokyo and then another 172 hours before we've got to like take pictures of ourselves swabbing our nose like sending those to certain apps like it is it is wild Like it is, it is wild right now. All of the things that, and the protocols and things that we're going to have to do just to be able to get there. Mm -hmm. I think once we land, we've got to take another test in the airport before we even like are able to get to the Olympic village. And then we've got like a two hour drive from the airport to the Olympic village. There's a lot of stuff. So it's it's very different. I've never been to an Olympics. So I imagine that the other ones are not as strict. But, you know, obviously we're not going to, we're going to get there after the opening ceremony. We're not going to be able to see that. I'm scheduled to stay for the closing ceremony, but I don't even know how they're going to, I don't know how they're doing that. If we're going to be able to stay, if we're going to be able to be in the arena, if we're just going to have to watch from a distance. I don't know. But those are what, that's kind of what I know now. We've got, I mean, pretty much tests every day, tests before we get there, tests when we get there basically three locations we're going. We have to log where we're going to be. Like before we get to Japan, I'm logging right now my day-to-day activity. And once the activity plan is set, there's not really any, there's no changing that activity plan. It is like, this is where you are. This is where you're going to be. They're going to have apps that are tracking our locations. It is, yeah. So very different, no spectators. Hopefully they pump in some sound or something because it's going to be very like, I just I'm imagining already and this is a big part of just visualization I'm, I'm literally imagining walking into an empty stadium and just like just being there like me and the other guys at <laughs> the starter and like that's it like it's it's a wild thing to think about like, I imagine like I'm thinking about because we've always run in front of crowds even if they're small crowds running it like we run in front of crowds there's some kind of noise there's chatter there's you know it's there's something there but i just i'm thinking about just a completely silent place which will be very different and I'm, I'm interested to see how that affects the runners the competition the competitive atmosphere but i just imagine me hearing my footsteps the whole time just like you know the, the spikes just hitting the ground that'll be interesting <laughs>
0: And aside from you, there's also going to be uh, a few other TCU Horn Frogs that have qualified for the Olympics. Have you uh, gotten the chance to talk with any of the other fellow Frog Olympians? Is there going to be a maybe Olympic-approved TCU meetup?
1: Honestly, I I, <laughs> I haven't gotten. It, but no, I don't even know if that's going to be possible. You know, maybe maybe we'll see each other in the in the cafeteria or something. That'll <laughs> probably be the extent. That'll be the extent of our uh, meetup is uh we'll get to see each other and maybe try some try some food together but um yeah i mean it's it's gonna be nuts i think that even after we compete we've got to leave tokyo within 48 hours of our last competition so yeah that'll be hard
0: (laughs) so for those that want to get the schedule out get their calendar out did the phone alerts when are you competing
1: so I will compete on July 31st. I think it's a like 5 a.m. here. So you're gonna have to get up early on that one. It's July 31st. I'll have one one race, which will be the Heats. And then the semifinals will be on August 1st. And then the finals will also be on August 1st. So those two races, I don't know the exact time on those, but I'll if you follow me on like if you follow me on Twitter at if honestly, if you just search Ronnie Baker 14, you should be able to find it. That handle we film on instagram and on facebook i'll make sure i post times both tokyo times and u.s central eastern mountain all those good times <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make sure i organize all that for everyone so they can find out when i'm running and when to tune in
0: all right and we'll wrap up we'll let you get to your your training and being around people for the last time for you know a couple of weeks here yeah. uh, let's go after this question what is your favorite memory off the track at tcu
1: Man, favorite memory off the track. Interesting. I, I was, while I was there, I really had a great time at TCU. For me, off the track, a lot of the times it was just the community with the track team. You know, we got to go out and just, we partied. I partied. I'll be honest with you. I love the parties. I was, I definitely, when I was at TCU, 7th Street's a very popular place for TCU students. And on the weekends, we went out, just had a good time, enjoyed ourselves. So that was a lot, a, a lot of just you know, outside of track and field. I love the, I love the parties. I love the camaraderie. I love just the team aspect and everyone just getting to know each other. That you know, football games were fun, except for they were just super hot. Eleven a.m. games. Oh my gosh, you just you basically go out there and just you just sweat. Like I, I tell people, you you could really like you could just take your shirt off and just get some like tanning lotion if you really wanted to just sit out there and just get a tan that day perfect perfect time to do it 11 o'clock games but yeah i mean overall the the experience was great i just really enjoyed the people that i got to know and the growth that i got to experience while i was at tcu and had a lot of fun just just doing that
0: well that is ronnie baker olympian of the 2020 slash 2021 olympics whatever it's called now and you can tune in to ronnie's twitter instagram facebook just search him and we will watch you. Hopefully they do it live, whatever the tape delay is, but we'll make sure we'll be tuned in. Hopefully uh, we can talk to you soon with a couple gold medals around your neck.
1: Absolutely. Hopefully I'll I'll have two when I get back. I'm I'm planning on two. So we'll do the next one, I'll put put them both on.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frog for Life podcast. If you or a friend or family member would like to get in touch with us to share your story, please contact us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at TCU alumni. We look forward to sharing our next story of how TCU alumni are changing the world.